Have you ever wondered what it's like to bite into Nerds gummy clusters? They're fruity. They're tangy. They're gummy. And they're crunchy. Nerds Gummy Clusters, a union of fruity sweet gummy and tangy crunchy nerds. Unleash your senses. Shop now at nerdscandy.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to One More Life, the gaming podcast from radiotimes.com. I'm your host, Rob Lean, and each week I'll be joined by a new guest to learn about their life with gaming. This week's guest is none other than Tim Nguyen, who works on Pokemon Go as the senior producer of its live game. He's normally based in California, but he came over to the UK earlier this year for Pokemon Go Fest, and we met up at the Niantic offices at a top-secret central London location to talk about his life in gaming. He was a really nice, friendly guy, and he's had a very interesting journey starting out randomly as a swimming coach before becoming one of the key developers on one of the biggest games in the world. He is also, thankfully, a card-carrying member of the Squirtle Squad, much like myself. So, let's load up that conversation. So, Tim, thank you very much for coming on One More Life, our new gaming podcast. Pleasure. I always like to start at the start of someone's gaming life. I was wondering... Uh, what are kind of some of the first games you remember playing, some of those early experiences that you had growing up? So I'm going to give you a story. Okay. So it's a long one, but I think it's a juicy one. <laughs> so I was born in Florida in the 80s, and my dad at the time was an engineer for IBM. He was part of the team that worked on the floppy disk, the five, five and a quarter. But his passion was medicine. So he studied medicine in Vietnam, emigrated here, and so he wanted to go back to medicine. So after I was born with the loving support of my mom and the family, he went to medical school. So we moved from Florida all the way out to Michigan and he studied, he, he basically changed careers there. And so it was his colleague that we, we were going to his colleague's house. His colleague also had a family, I think two sons, and they were gonna study for like an upcoming test or something. And I remember, going over to their house and being introduced to the Super Nintendo. Big day. Big day, big day. And there were three titles that I specifically remember. I remember witnessing Mortal Kombat, one of the most gruesome games. <laughs> and they, how old were you at this point? I was, okay, so I think I was around six years old, maybe seven oh, years it's old. Fine, it's fine. Yeah, it's <laughs> super normal. They had the Prima guides, I don't know if they have them here, oh, yeah, yeah. but they're, they had all the combos, they had the finishing moves. And so we spent most of the day going through the Prima guide and trying to get the fatalities for every character. So that was probably my first, they had Street Fighter, which I always lost at, and then we had uh, Mario Kart, and that was just excellent. So that would probably be my first ever memory of video games. And was it love at first sight? Were you then like, 
begging your parents to get some of this action at your place? I think so. I mean, I loved, I've always loved video games. I don't know if that was one that like planted the seed and forever, but I do, video games have always been a, a part of my life. I never thought it would be something that I could do as a job, but I've always like been a gamer, played games, like kept a pulse on kind of gaming. And so it's been very special to me, yeah. When did it start to come more like into your daily life, less of a special occasion, more of a I'm obsessed with these games every night kind of thing? I would say probably in college, maybe a little bit in high school. Yeah, when I had a little more free time. I spent a lot of time in like high school and, and middle school swimming. So I was a like competitive swimmer for a very long time. And so that took up most of my life in terms of like waking up at five in the morning and doing practice, going to school, and then going back to practice again in the afternoon. But when I did find time on the weekends, maybe in between swim meets or something like that, we would I would be able to play some video games. I probably did not play as much as I wanted to, and my parents were great parents for that reason. <laughs> but um, I, I knew at that time I like really loved video games and what was coming out, and I was like reading the magazines, and I was, you know, collecting Nintendo powers and like the the kind of books and literature around like what video games were popular at the time. To bring it back to your swimming skills, do you think there's ever been a great representation of swimming in the gaming oh, world? Oh boy. Or do you get annoyed when you see like some animations like that's not an accurate <laughs> like breaststroke <laughs> that he's doing there? I feel like I haven't played any like competitive swimming games, but I feel like most of the games do a pretty good job of of swimming that allow it. I know a lot of games they don't let you go into water because it's a hard thing to do. So once you hit water, you're dead. But the games that do allow you to swim, I feel like they do a pretty good job. And like the the recent Zelda game allows you to swim, and I think it feels good. But I don't think Zelda or or Link is swimming against people. No, not that I've discovered. But maybe it's hidden somewhere yeah. in a, the open world. Maybe there's a it's an idea for you, Nintendo. Yeah, they can have that one for free. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned Zelda there. That's one of your kind of favorite series. Is when did you first get into Zelda, and what are some of your favorite Zeldas? Yeah. So. The Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time, uh, favorite game of all time. I, I actually have a, t a tattoo that I have of the Triforce, and it's something that I share with my sisters. We all have a piece of the Triforce, and it's something that's like very special to us. So The Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time is my favorite game of all time, and it's the first game where I realized that the story could be integrated into the gameplay, and there could be an adventure, and there could be like a full kind of experience. Since then, I've played basically every single Zelda game. And so, yeah, it's it's my favorite series for sure. That's so cool. Would you say that that was kind of a bigger deal for you growing up than Pokemon? Or was Pokemon also on like a, a high level of interest for you back then? Yeah, Pokemon, I would say I was interested in. So I got into Pokemon Gen 1 with Red and Blue. That to me was probably my first love in terms of video games. But Legend of Zelda made me want to work in it probably to stick on gen one pokemon on the game boy the non-backlit screen like huddling under like a light source to be able to play it um yeah what's your go-to starter from the original sorry. oh man it's squirtle squirtle squad for yeah, sure thank you, thank you yeah there's no other choice <laughs> <laughs> there isn't that was kind of my first gaming love as well was red and blue well blue specifically yeah um which one were you on i was on blue as well yeah, yeah, yeah. well if squirtle squad yeah got, i mean come on i didn't back. know at the time but yeah it's definitely <laughs> blue yeah yeah i loved that like, at that time as well because there was always like all these rumors because like, it's kind of pre-internet or like not the internet as we know it now at least 
and it'd be like all these rumors like oh if, if you get off the ssn mu is hiding in the back yeah. <laughs> i tried to do that every which way mm. uh i remember even getting a game shark i don't know if that mm. was like a thing yeah and like it allowed you to break the game essentially to like go back there there's nothing there <laughs> there's nothing there but missing no yeah was a thing and that's how you do the rare candy trick i don't know if that's yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, you go talk to the old guy and yeah, yeah. so you, i would i did the missing note uh rare candy trick quite a bit but i don't know if i'm supposed to say that <laughs> you've been sacked um no i remember that it was like everyone's really worried about it so i was like you can do this thing you swim up and down the shore but it might break your yeah game. I don't, did yeah it ever, did it ever break your game i don't think it, i think maybe it was a myth that it would break your game i don't think it did but i i risked it for the biscuit like i you got to get infinite items. <laughs> it's There's, worth it. Yeah. <laughs> and if you, yeah, if it breaks your game, get to start the adventure all over again. Yeah. Yeah. And at what point did gaming start to become part of your professional life? So I never thought I could work in games. And my first job in games was as a PM at a company called Ubisoft. And I got that job through swimming, which is kind of weird. <laughs> But I was, How did you get yeah, this is a great story too. <laughs> so I was in between gigs. I had moved to San Francisco. And one of the things that I loved to do was swim. And so I joined the, the local master's team. And I think I swam enough where they were like, hey, do you want to, you want to sub in as a coach? And I was like, sure. So I coached and I swam at the team and uh, I swam along with other people in the community. And uh, one of them was, I think, a director at Ubisoft. So we swam and we were just, you know, in between sets, kind of catching up. And I was like, ah, I'm in between gigs. I don't know, you know, what I want to do next. And he's like, well, have you thought about maybe working in gaming? And I said, no, I didn't think this was a thing. And he was like, all right, well, you know, we have an opening PM position and uh, you should apply. So I did and went through the interview process and um, somehow lucked out being a PM at, at Ubisoft. So I was there for like a year and a half and after that point, I was like, oh, man, I'm hooked. Like, I can I can totally do this. What does being a PM involve? Was that project manager or product yeah. manager? Project management at Ubisoft. We I was focused on, like, a lot of the marketing initiatives, creative, things like that. And the, I remember the games that I worked on were Crew, Steep, and Rainbow Six. And then was it Zynga you worked out after that? No, it was Machine Zone. Oh, so was I was, yeah, I was at um, Ubisoft. And mobile games were just blowing up. And I was like, I, I need a piece of this. And so I started kind of doing a little bit of research and found uh, Machine Zone, which had Game of War and Mobile Strike and these kind of top of the chart games. And I was like, I'm going to go there and I'm going to learn from those people. Uh, and so they had an opening on their UI UX team, I think, as a, another project manager. So I uh, applied and then was lucky enough to work there as a UI UX PM and I wanted to kind of continue to grow closer to the game. And so then I had a chance to um, work on the live ops team. And after about a year or so, I was heading up the live ops team uh, and then was given the opportunity to, to be the executive producer. So for about two and a half years, I was EP at Machine Zone running Game of War and Mobile Strike. Uh, mobile live service game speaking of mobile it seems like you got into it like you say when it was blowing up it's on the rise did you ever get the sense that you know people in other sections of gaming are looking down on mobile games did you think there was like any stigma around it or anything like that no i never felt that way i mean i 
I was just kind of really focused on learning the space and how to run the game and like all the things that were going with it. So I didn't, I mean, I connected with my friends that were still at Ubisoft running, like working on console stuff, but it wasn't something where they were looking down on mobile. I think some people were unsure if mobile was the future um, or if the mobile numbers would sustain themselves. But I don't think people thought less of like mobile gaming. I think most people, it made sense because it's a, you know, in your pocket, you can take it anywhere, right? You don't need to have the console with you. And I think the other piece of it is like, I think it clicked for a lot of people when they saw their family members that weren't playing console games starting to play like Candy Crush or games that are like very accessible and very easy to like hop into. Yeah, and it's nice with hindsight as well to see like mobile was not the end of, of any form of gaming. It's yeah. just another way you can do gaming. Yeah, I think of it as a great entry point, you know, and I, I think a lot of my family that started gaming on mobile has like crossed the chasm to, to console and is now even more of a hardcore gamer because they picked up a pretty casual game on their mobile device. So yeah, I think it it's definitely a place to enter into the gaming space. Yeah. And it's like you say, it's like most people have got a phone and like you can, <laughs> whatever like generation of phone you've got, there'll be millions of games you can get on it pretty affordably and yeah. it's like compare that to like the price of entry to get in on like a ps5 or something yeah i mean you know free to play is definitely a, a thing and so i think it's nice that it gives people uh very little friction to like enter into the game and then scale it up however they want to engage with it yeah it must be um a difficult thing to balance from like the back end side of like we've got hundreds of people working on these games these people need to to get paid we need to keep the lights on but like i imagine it must have been like a lot of conversations over the years of like how do we how do we monetize have we gone too far do we need to step back and stuff like that yeah i think so but i mean each company each product has their own goals and like what they want to do and you know some some games certainly monetize a lot harder than others and some games are more focused on like pokemon go in fact on, on mission over hard 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 revenue numbers yeah I think it's quite a good mentality to get into if you've got a game free and you're really enjoying it. And at some point it's like, hey, we've got this extra stuff you can have if you uh, if you give us like one pound or something. Yeah. That it's like, well, actually, I didn't get, I didn't pay anything to get into here. It's like if you've got like free access to an event, maybe I'll buy a drink or something while I'm there. Like, yeah. You know, I, th I think it's fascinating what mobile games have like grown into. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Do you remember the first time that you became aware of Pokemon Go? Because I mean, it was like such a huge phenomenon. It felt, it felt like it just came out of nowhere. Yeah, absolutely. So 
I applied to work at Niantic before Pokemon Go launched. I don't remember how I found out about it, but I just knew it was coming. And uh, so I applied and I never, I didn't get in, but I knew it was like going to be huge. And I was really excited about it. And uh, I had an interview with John actually. And I don't know if John remembers this, but uh, I do. And uh, I just wasn't the right fit. And uh, the game exploded and I continued to play it for several years, but it wasn't until many, many years later that I was able to come back and apply for a separate job and, you know, join Niantic. But to answer your original question, when it first came out, installed it in day one and played it and it was like fulfilling the fantasy of catching Pokemon in the, in the world, like seeing these characters like, you know, on your table and, and taking photos with them. Do you remember the first Pokemon that you saw? In Pokemon? Oh, I feel like the first Pokemon is the one that you pick, right? I feel like it's a starter. Oh yeah, you do get to pick one at the start. And I obvi picked Squirtle. Of course. Yeah, yeah. I'll bet you can see the stats on how many people have picked. Oh, probably. Yeah. I could go take a look, yeah. <laughs> I'm Team Mystic, blue. But yeah, so I played it basically endlessly. And I remember that summer distinctly in 2016, I think, because everyone was outside. And everyone was like, everyone had like that haunched over back that you see from the players. Yeah, like kind of looking over, doing that motion with the with their hands. And so every street corner and every park, you would see them. And it was like awesome because everyone was outside. And I was meeting so many people at the, at the local parks and stuff. Yeah. I've never had this thought before. But if you had no idea what was going on, you might be worried about these people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, what's going on here? Is there like a disease going on? No, it's like, it's awesome. <laughs> My dad was a bit like that. I remember my first Pokemon Go experience. I remember being like, oh, I'm going to you know, take this thing out for a walk and like see what I can find. And yeah. I, was like, I think maybe they were having like some server problems. It was literally like the first day it was on in the UK. And I was like, I've been walking for a while. I haven't, I haven't seen anything. <laughs> uh, but then I was just like turned around a corner and there was a ghastly there. And I was like, whoa. Ghastly? Ghastly, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, Gengar was like, yeah, you got to have the candies for it for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I got it. I've seen. I assume I still have. I assume I haven't like sent it off to the professor at some point. I think I've still got it. Oh no, you harvested <laughs> it. But yeah, my, it was funny because my dad is not a massive gamer by any stretch. But the pub that he goes to with his mates, there's like a some kind of statue or like memorial or something like out the front of this pub. Yeah, and um, it's like and this is when you know like a game's really taken off. And my dad is like, son. <laughs> Why, why are these people gathering around this statue? They said it was a Pokemon thing. Can you explain this yeah. to me? And it's that kind of thing that's like when a game gets that big. And I guess because it was so public as well and people start realizing like there's something going on here that I don't understand, but people seem to be enjoying it. So I want to find out. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what I love about this game. And I think that's what's made it, for me, different from any of the other games that I've worked on is that it transcends so many different groups of people, people of all ages, and it, it gets people outside interacting, engaging with each other, like discovering places that they probably would have never checked out beforehand. And and I think that's a really kind of special sauce. We've got up to the point where you joined Niantic. What is like your first impression when you, you know, you get the keys of the kingdom, you're inside, you can see into the the matrix of, of Pokemon Go. What is like, what's it like to, to get involved? It was it? actually a lot closer to what I expected. It was a lot like Machine Zone. Um, it was a very fast-paced, very focused organization that was very user-focused. So they'd taken a lot of inputs from all over, in-game surveys, focus groups, um, social media, things like that. And the people that work on Pokemon Go are incredibly passionate, both from their disciplines, but also 
from Pokemon perspective. And so it was really nice to kind of find that group of people where I fit in both because we're gamers together, but also because like we bring a lot of experience from the disciplines or, you know, the work that we've done in the past. And did you come in with like ideas in mind of like, well, I suggest that we should do this kind of thing. Uh, how, how long do I have to wait before I can uh, do this? Do influencing? <laughs> Not really. So when I came on to lead Game of War and Mobile Strike, the game was old at the time. I think it was like maybe five or six years old. And so one of the things that I had learned is to not rock the ship like too crazy, right? You have an established user base. There's a lot of stuff. And yeah, you can optimize or yeah, you can like change things up. But like, it's better to just sit back and learn and really kind of like figure things out. Move fast, definitely like find out where the cracks are. But it was in my interest to just kind of like check things out from a distance, you know? So that's kind of what I did. I, I came in, I did my best to kind of like learn from the team, not really shake up the product as much as possible. I mean, it, it is still one of the most played games of all time. It's like huge in the app store. And so I didn't want to mess up that, that magic and just make sure that like I, I understood the players and I understood the game and I understood what's bringing these people back to it. And I imagine it must take a lot of work just to keep the game going. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a live service game, right? So it's never off. It's global. So it's uh, it's everywhere. And it's not like you just like leave your computer running <laughs> and it's just going to do a Pokemon Go. Yeah. I think we've built a lot of really great systems that allow us to manage it in a way that somewhat respects work-life balance. You know, and we do have a lot of automation, a lot of tooling built to kind of make our work kind of multiplied. But yeah, you're you're running a 24-hour game, and so something may happen at two in the morning, and you know you have to log online and figure out what to do. What's like the kind of thing that would happen at two in the morning? Is it like oh, there's suddenly there seems to be like an outage in such and such a place, or yeah, we've got a so, flurry of complaints that exactly. people can't catch, whatever. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So it'll it'll be very similar to that, where an event will go live in a, a different time zone, and you know maybe something won't be active, or maybe something will be tuned wrong or something won't be activated properly. And so then we usually will see first through our internal uh, ticketing system where players are writing in and saying like, hey, this is broken, or this is missing or whatever, and we'll flare. And then our ops team will let the internal team know and then we'll start to triage and figure out what to do from there. Sounds kind of like raising an IT ticket. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if enough IT tickets get filed, then it's kind of a big deal. Right. Yeah. And so you're measuring the velocity of the ticket. You're measuring where it's coming from. You're measuring, you know, the keywords in the tickets. And they kind of paint the picture of like where to narrow it in. Cause I think there's a base level of tickets that get written in, uh, you know, every day because players are having issues. But then you definitely want to be able to identify the ones that are really, really uh, major issues. And so I think we've done a pretty good job with that. Yeah. And I imagine you have to filter some out where it's like, no, your internet signal was just bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some, uh, please turn it on, turn it off again. <laughs> like yeah. IT crowd vibes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Love it. And uh, since you've joined, what are like some of the big like changes or upgrades that Pokemon Go has got? I would say this past year, Pokemon Go has had an incredible year of shipping. If we just look back exactly one year in August, we had the Daily Adventure Incense. And that came out 15 minutes. It's on your main page. It allows you to access a independent spawn pool. Also the Galarian birds. 
And it, I think, does kind of two things. One, it, it reminds you to kind of get out every day to do it for free, easy. But it also really helps a lot of our rural players because it gives them access to a spawn pool that they probably wouldn't be getting access to normally. After that, you've got shadow raids, which is like a really rad feature that allows you to kind of come back every day and then uh, take your shadow shards and uh, purify them for your shadow raids on the weekend. So it gives it gives you another core loop to come into on a, on a weekly basis. So that was, I think, last season. And then after that, uh, showcases. So showcases launched with the seventh anniversary of the game. And it's another incredible competitive core loop that players can take their Pokemon and the special stats that they have, enter them into a showcase, and then you know see if they've got the biggest Snorlax. And it's <laughs> super fun. And it's really, I think, you know, we're seeing really good adoption. Player feedback has been fantastic. We're seeing players that are are meeting people that they've never met before because you go in and you get to see, you know, who's entered into a showcase. And so it's done a really great job at um, connecting the community with people that are kind of unexpectedly there right sounds like one of the rpg games or maybe multiple of them have like you can put your pokemon into like a fashion contest type yeah thing yeah yeah um is that coming i don't know uh, <laughs> but um yeah so I, I i think that's a fantastic one and then the two other recent releases are the routes so routes is a really fantastic feature it's our first uh, user-generated content feature and it's wonderful because it gives players a chance to highlight the areas in their towns, give people ways to discover all different kinds of POIs or maybe take a scenic route. I know some folks are doing it for Halloween candy or maybe like raid trains. So there's all these really great use cases. I've even seen some people do art with it, like they'll create a path where if you're looking down, it's like its own art piece. So that's really, really rad. Have to somehow scan that people aren't like writing inappropriate words. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do have a fantastic review process. We're scaling that up. We have so much interest in players generating new routes that we've been scaling up that review process as quickly as possible because people want to try routes in their town. They want to make routes and we want to let them do that. I should so, yeah. tell my wife, there's a... Um, my wife used to get like a particular bus, like for no reason other than because it stopped like <laughs> the place it went past so many poker stops and then took her back around in a loop back to her house. <laughs> that's a good one. That's a route right there. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. That kind of like social aspect of it has obviously always been a big part of it. But how important is like the real life events side of it? I guess especially like post COVID, it must be particularly cool. Yeah, it's. I think it's one of the cornerstones of Pokemon Go. I don't think any other mobile game does it like Pokemon Go does it. Okay, cheesy story. Keep it or don't keep it. Uh, I met my partner playing Pokemon Go. Did you? This is a this is a cheese story. So everyone get your tissues. So 2016. So it's interesting because our anniversary year matches the Pokemon game. So I, we, because we celebrated seven years of Pokemon Go, I know my anniversary is uh, seven years old. <laughs> uh, so thank you for that, because that makes it easy. But yeah, so it was 2016. I was in the park, and you know everyone had that like Pokemon Go look. And she was also in the park. We She was at a, a gym, and uh, she was taking it over. Uh, she was Team Valor. I'm Team Mystic. It's Opposite okay. Track, yeah, that. yeah. 
And so I, I walk up and I'm like, hey, um, are, you, are you taking this over to the gym? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, no, I don't think you are. And then she said, watch me. Seven years later, love my life. I love you, Alex. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's how we met. And so uh, this game is very special to me in that way where um, that social connection is very, very close to me uh, because I've experienced it myself. That's so cool. And I feel like there's been lots of other attempts to replicate that type of AR Pokemon Go, get people out in the world. I, think, I feel like there's yet to be one that's taken off on quite such a massive level. I wondered, like, what do you attribute that to? I guess, is it maybe because it was the first one and because it was, well, it wasn't the first one, but the first like massive beloved IP to kind of play in that space? I think so. I, I don't know what all of the magical ingredients are that, you know, would make it what it is today. But I do think it's that element of the Niantic mission of getting out and exploring and, and social connection and exercise. It's the IP, the Pokemon, like so beloved, maybe the biggest, if not the biggest IP in the world. And then just being able to have that fantasy of like being a trainer and catching your favorite Pokemon, being part of a community that shares that same set of values is like, you know, maybe, maybe what it is. I think, yeah, that's, it's hard to reproduce that and it's hard to catch that lightning in a bottle. I think the beauty of Pokemon Go as well, well part of it is that like, you know, the Pokemon RPGs and other games kind of come and go. And I know there are ways to like take your Pokemon out of an RPG and store them and stuff. But like the fact that Pokemon Go so far, I mean, touch wood, it's just always there forever. It's like, you've, yeah. you've caught a Snorlax, like it's in your collection, you've got forever. it forever. And as they keep adding more and more Pokemon, it's like, okay, now I've got a few more hundred to get. Like, <laughs> got to expand, yeah. How many, I, how many are in it now? Uh, ooh, I don't know the final number. I want to say we're in the 700s, but I could be wrong. If I had to put my money on it, yeah. I'd be like in the six sevens, yeah. I think that's what's so great about the Pokemon Go experience too is that it's incredibly accessible. You can hop in, pick your Pokemon, start catching, and start leveling up very easily. Like it's, it's got a really great kind of core loop that I think people resonate with, and it definitely keeps you kind of coming back for more. I'm aware that obviously we're being very, very positive about Pokemon Go. Obviously, is there anything about it you're like, if you had to do like a a review of like, I wish we could do more of this or I wish we could do less of that kind of thing. Like, is, there, is there any negative about Pokemon Go? I mean, I think on the flip side of uh, a year of shipping, you know, I think some of our shipping, the things that we've shipped could definitely be improved. And I think we're super focused on that, right? So like routes is going to be improved with the process to validate the routes. We have a ver new update that's coming that I don't know if I can say too much about. But like that's definitely going to be awesome. We've got more showcases that we want to do. Like you were mentioning, be different kinds of showcases, better spotlighting of showcases. Um, right now, showcases are tied to uh, in-game events, so maybe there's ways to like decouple that and like have some fun with that. But yeah, I do think that we've shipped a lot of really great stuff. But I do think that a lot of that stuff can be improved on. And I think if I were to say if we were to do something different, it's that it's to continue to improve on the things that we've shipped. And uh, to bring it back around to, to your gaming life, what do you think is the game you've spent the most hours playing yourself? Probably two games. Super Smash Brothers. Uh, I would main Fox, oh. respectable, maybe, and Samus and Sheik. 
Interesting. Those are my mains. Not going for the um, Pokemon option in there. I know. <laughs> this is probably the last time I'm working at this company. Um, <laughs> so yeah, those are my mains. I probably put so much time into those. These days, I haven't really learned the character, so I, I main random. Oh. And I feel like that's just the right amount of chaos. <laughs> but yeah, and the Halo series. I played a lot of the Halo series, both because I think it had really great uh, story and narrative. And I think the gameplay was really tight. So probably Halo 3 of all of the Halo series. Did you have a look at Halo Infinite? I did. I didn't get into it. We're a PlayStation home. And so we, we kind of haven't had a chance. I haven't had a chance to play any Xbox games recently. Hello again. I'm just taking a quick break from the episode to tell you about the RadioTimes.com gaming newsletter. Stuffed with all the latest news, reviews and explainers, this free weekly email will really help you stay ahead of the game. It'll arrive in your inbox every Wednesday, highlighting all the releases you need to know about along with my genuine recommendations. So if you're enjoying this podcast, head over to RadioTimes.com slash gaming newsletter to hear more from me every week. And now, back to the episode. Well, that does actually bring me on to one of the rapid-fire questions I was going to ask you, which was PlayStation or Xbox? PlayStation Home, yeah. I had an Xbox through high school and college, but my partner is an adamant PlayStation person, and so we are Sony or die, basically. Have to make compromises in life, don't you? (laughs) I personally have a Switch. I love my Switch, um, and that's my my main Switch. I would say I am probably a Nintendo person, but in our home, we're, we're a Sony place. We're, we're a PlayStation home. Yeah. Back in the day, did you get involved with the Nintendo-Sega rivalry? A little bit, but I didn't really pick sides. I was more interested in like what games were coming out on each of the consoles more than like, you know, which one is the only one that I would, I would subscribe to. Yeah, and I think it's like, again, in hindsight, like whenever there's more than one company and they're like, trying to one-up each other and both try, trying to make amazing games. I think that's quite like a, a good place for the consumer. Oh, for sure. You get some really great titles, innovation. Uh, yeah, I think it's great. Cool. Another quickfire question. Uh, console or PC? Oh, man, this is going to ruin my credibility. It's console because of the ease of access. I will acknowledge for all the PC gamers out there that PC gets you the, the best of the best experience for sure. But... Um, it's a lot of admin, yeah. though, having a PC as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't had the time to like maintain a PC, uh, which I think is actually not that much time. But I slip into the console. I can drop into a game, I think, a little bit quicker in the, in the console sense. And I also like that the console, or yeah, consoles are, at least the ones that I've used, are generally focused on gaming. Whereas like if I had a PC, I'd start going down a rabbit hole on something else. Nice. Uh, solo or multiplayer? <sighs> Both? Can I do both? Uh, If I had to pick one, I would pick multiplayer. Nice. And uh, gaming chair or sofa? Oh, chair all the way. Oh, really? Yeah. Sofa, I feel like it doesn't quite fit you, you know, all the time. But a gaming chair, that gives you the support. It's got the backrest. You know, it's like very, it's built to be gamed in. Sounds like you haven't truly become one with your sofa yet. That's that's probably what it is. All right, time to get a new sofa. Yeah. headphones or coming out through the speakers speakers i like this question every time i wear headphones my head just uh, overheats uh-huh. and i think you definitely get better uh sound quality with headphones because it like uh covers the ears and all that stuff but i like the speakers so you've got 
a whole evening ahead of you of gaming like right like today what game are you rushing home to play now probably scarlet and violet i still yeah. need to finish it yeah nice and say you've got this whole evening ahead of you you have to you know have to eat something to stay alive what are you doing on like your dream gaming night in <sighs> that's a great question it's probably mountain dew taco bell I think I got my credibility back <laughs> uh, or in and out with like a shake, something that's just like hits home, nostalgic, something I grew up on. Yeah. These days I can't hang with that anymore. So it'll probably be something along the lines of a nice water and <laughs> something healthy, like a salad or something like that, you know, Rocking it. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, is there a game that's had like a particularly like emotional effect on you? Bioshock. Oh, interesting. Is one that I think shook me up a little bit. I think the atmosphere is fantastic. Uh, pacing is really, really good. Uh, the twist is wonderful. Uh, Knights of the Old Republic. Oh, the, the twist at the end. GG. So good. I did not <laughs> expect that. So I love that one. Yeah. And, and, and Mass Effect, you know, another really strong narrative game. Yeah. Maybe action adventure games is probably like, my favorite genre. Have you ever thrown a controller in a, in a fit of rage? Yes. <laughs> uh, particularly song games or, or uh, music games, right? So like Guitar Hero, uh, Rock Band, anything made by harmonics. I definitely threw those controllers because you're, you're on that combo. You're, you haven't made a single mistake. You got the multiplier and then you hit the wrong key. It's over. <laughs> I'm with you on that. I like I think it's a different skill as well, like to be able to do things in sequence with the right timing and stuff. It's not the same as like being good at other sorts of games. Like. Yeah, yeah. Do you see there was a guy the other day that beat Elden Ring with a saxophone? Saxophone. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. And I think he did it without getting damaged. Yeah, it was something he did it in some amazing way. Yeah. It's one thing to beat a game with an instrument as your controller. It's another thing to do it flawlessly. And I think that's incredible. I don't yeah. think and you might know if there's a musical way to play Pokemon Go. Rig probably <laughs> yeah like a rig a touch pad up to a ddr pad there has to be a way to do it yeah if anyone's out there <laughs> please please let us know if you're if you somehow figured out a way to musically play pigo nice uh and what is your favorite pokemon articuno oh yeah legendary bird when i read articuno's biography i don't know what it's called it's like background story i loved the idea that it would go and rescue people that are like lost in the mountains and just kind of like show up. And that really like resonated with me. It's also the Pokemon for Team Mystic, but I've always had a special place for water types. And I thought when I first encountered Articuno as my first legendary bird, I was like, holy cow, this thing's pretty rad. You just remember, I do love like how some of the Pokedex ent entry things are like really like dramatic yeah. like that. And then some of them are just like, it's a dog that sits around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I love that lore. We have I have some incredible game designers that I work with, and some of the things that we like to do is we like to spit uh, Pokemon facts in between meetings, or if we need to like kill time. And the Pokemon facts are in they're rad. They're all over the place, and yeah, it's super great. Have you got any some examples of some Pokemon facts? Cosmog, I think, is the densest Pokemon. What? It could be wrong. It's like a little cloud thing. Yeah, yeah. I'd have to look this up. Yeah. And, Dan, please don't hate me for, for misquoting <laughs> you. So that's that's a good one. Uh, another one is Pokemon, I think, don't wear clothing. So the Pokemon that you see, like Macho, Machamp, that's like their bodies, not the belt. 
that's that's weird <laughs> yeah it's interesting but what about when you see like a special limited edition pikachu in a hat that is clothes yeah <laughs> okay so that's why it's special so go to golf first and get one of those yeah love yeah. it they had um they had one for when they did the Pokemon store in London as well. Yeah. Have you seen like the debate about like what do people eat in the Pokemon world? No, I've I've seen it but I haven't gone down that rabbit yeah, hole. I'm sure there is a rabbit hole, but just to think that there's people out there wondering like please tell me that there's other meat you can oh, eat in the Pokemon things. world that like or maybe everyone in the Pokemon world is just a vegetarian, but even there are also sentient plants in Pokemon. But I mean, I think they have cooking in Scarlet and Violet which I haven't really checked out, but they I, do. I'm I think guessing. it's a bit like like Breath of the Wild cooking of like you've got some ingredients and you put it in. It's not like which Pokemon are you gonna Is eat the ingredient tonight? from? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. because no, like Moo Moo milk is a thing. Oh yeah. So yeah. Pokemon produce food in a way. I don't know. I don't know. That's something I to don't... go away and <laughs> yeah. I could look into that on my own time. Yeah, I'm not super sure on that one. And I mean, I think we've come to the end of the road, and I would love to know if you only had one more life one more game that you're kind of allowed to play for the rest sure. of your days, which game would you choose and why? I feel like I have to pick a cop-out answer because it's like, that's the question to end all questions, I feel. So the cop-out answer would be something along the lines of like chess or uh, Tetris. Yeah, Infinitely replayable. You can play it by yourself. You can play with other people. Super, super deep, but also very easy to pick up and like learn. So I think that would be my answer. But that's too cop out. I feel like <laughs> for Mimi, it would probably be something like Smash Bros. But again, also replayable. Very, yeah, easy to pick up. And yeah, so I think Smash Bros. Or maybe something online that you can like update so it's timeless. Yeah, a live game. Yeah, a live game. <laughs> Perfect. Like cool. Pokemon Go. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Um, well, that was so great to talk to you. Thank you so much for taking It was time. such a pleasure. Thank you. This is so fun. Thank you for listening to One More Life. For more from us, head over to radiotimes.com slash gaming. There you'll find all the latest news, reviews, and guides that you need to know about. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on your podcast app of choice. We'll be back on this feed soon with some more gaming goodness. And until then, happy playing.